Yeah, um, Brian, by the way, has dropped out of this paper, hopefully not because of the quality of the paper, but simply because other commitments. Uh, and I'm volunteering to give the seminar, uh, not because I've become completely bored in retirement or, or, or semi-retirement, uh, because, but because it is actually a paper I'd like to get some uh, reaction to uh, before actually tying it up as a working paper and so on. Uh, the first slide is, you know, really for international consumption. I don't, I'm not going to spend any time talking about it because I don't need to tell you about, you know, the current situation in Ireland. Okay. Um, okay. The paper is focusing on the distributional consequences of the sort of economic change that we've had. Okay. And it's also focusing very specifically on class consequences, okay? Uh, so we're going to use the uh, European socioeconomic classification class system, which is based very much on John Goldthorpe's work, okay? Where there's two primary distinctions. There's a distinction in terms of employment status, employer, self-employed, etc. And then there's a distinction in terms of the manner in which employers can actually monitor and supervise employees and how that in turn impacts on the sort of rewards uh, that are offered to employees, okay? Uh, with the you know, extreme contrast between professional and managerial, where not only are economic rewards higher, but rewards of a prospective nature play a big part. So increments, you know, pensions, et cetera, and so on, uh, are a major feature uh, of reward packages. And at the other end, routine, unskilled manual work uh, where there's no, there's no great uh, necessity or to, to supervise employees or, or employees can be supervised in fairly routine fashions and it doesn't need complex uh, reward systems, okay? And then in between there are various gradations of those, okay? So the focus is very much on class, class factors and, cla and class influences, okay? Now, the Goldthorpe argument is that the value of his class system is bringing out the constraints and opportunities associated with different class positions. So it doesn't have any Marxist notions of inevitable class struggle or class consciousness, etc. It defines class purely in terms of these employee, uh, employee relationships, okay? And then the value of the class system, the, the class schema, isn't basically in terms of its ability to predict life chances and outcomes, okay? So in a sense, the you know, the class system, the value of the class system survives on its ability to predict these, these sort of outcomes, okay? And you would expect that if it works, that the sort of economic situation that we're, you know, we're facing at the moment would be a particularly uh, good context in which to look at those sort of class relationships, okay? If this sort of class schema can predict the sort of changes in vulnerability that we've been, in economic vulnerability that we've been experiencing, uh, and the distribution and patterning of those, well, then you might argue that it doesn't have a, have a great deal of value, okay? Now, a priori, there are three uh, hypotheses you can develop in relation to uh, what might have happened to class differences in our current economic situation, okay? The one which is the most familiar is probably the notion of class polarization, okay? So if you uh, look, for instance, at the task studies, uh, or you look at uh, Social Justice Ireland, um, Vincent O'Toole, <coughs> Vincent Brown, all those other major social thinkers and so on, the picture, of course, you would have would be a polarization. As things got economically worse, uh, the burden of vulnerability was borne by those at the, uh, at the bottom, while those higher up were relatively insulated, and you get class polarization. A different form of argument 
um, comes from people who've argued about the decline in the impact of class. Uh, people like Ulrich Beck and so on, who've argued that as a consequence of individualization, uh, you know, class risks have diminished, uh, and risk, risk has become much more associated with stages of the life cycle, okay? Risk becomes a much more individualized uh, sort of matter, uh, and class structuring reduces. So that's at the opposite extreme to the polarization argument. In between, various forms of notions of middle-class squeeze have emerged. Uh, the notion that, uh, that, that rewards to particular class groups uh, you know, have, you know, have declined. There's a recent, an article recently in the Journal of European Social Policy you know, focusing on that sort of argument, dealing purely with income rather than, you know, rather than class, okay? And certainly, in the situation we're in, with debt problems, pay cuts and pension levies in the public sector, increasing progressivity uh, of taxation, which I know is debated, but I'm, you know, if you refer to the work by Tim Callan, uh, you know, and so on, and deterior deteriorating situation of the self-employed uh, and skilled manual classes, particularly those uh, most exposed to contraction of, of the economy. All of these factors have given the notion of middle-class squeeze uh, a certain resonance in popular debate in Ireland, okay? And you can see that from, you know, things like the recent Irish Times series on, you know, precisely notions of middle-class squeeze, okay? You don't have to leave the Irish Times, of course, but I just have yeah, to point out that these notions are certainly, are certainly in the air, okay? Now, what's our data? Our data is Silk 2004 to 2011, okay? And we have three key measures, an income poverty measure with four categories, uh, uh, about 16% are below the 60% line. We, we say we distinguish four categories going from below 50 to 70 and above. An 11 item basic deprivation measure with a fairly high level of reliability. And again, where, where we dichotomize, we do so at two plus. This is the measure which is part of the Irish consistent poverty measure, okay? And then a four-item economic stress measure. We, we have four different items, and we uh, set up a measure from it. Again, pretty high level of reliability, okay? Uh, so pretty decent measures of deprivation and economic stress, okay? Basically, what we do is we do a latent class analysis, which I'll come back to, of a four-by-two-by-two two table, okay? So what we want to explain is the cross-classification of income poverty by deprivation, by economic stress, okay? So we have a four by two by two. We have, uh, uh, my maths are right, we have a 16 cell table, okay? And, we, and, and what we want to do is say, how are people allocated to those cells and how does that change over time and what sort of influences uh, on the change over time? Okay, well, an argument for, basic argument for, for thinking in multidimensional terms rather than single item terms, okay? If you look at what happened between 2004 and 2011, uh, what you actually see is that the red line, income poverty, actually shows not a great deal of trend over time. If anything, it tends to go down, okay? Now this, of course, was exactly what happened in the boom as well. Income poverty actually went up in the boom, you know, uh, and you know, now it goes down in, 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 in the recession, in the crisis, okay? It, you know, starting to climb a little bit lately. On the other hand, the measures of deprivation and economic stress stay relatively flat up to about 2008, and then they take off, okay? Just, you know, rocket, okay? So depending which indicator you focus, if you ask what's been the effect of the crisis, you can get very different answers, okay? 
Now, what we're trying to do is develop a notion of economic vulnerability, or add to our previous work on it, which incorporates all these three elements, okay? And why do that? Well, firstly, because a lot of work has shown that focusing solely on income seems to miss a large part of the picture, okay? Uh, I mean, particularly in the Irish case, it, I mean, what's happened, what happens in income poverty depends very much on comparing what happens in terms of market incomes with what's happening in terms of social welfare incomes, okay? Uh, and in the boom, we saw that, you know, welfare incomes, even though they increase substantially, lag behind market incomes, okay? Uh, and uh, you, th that affected income poverty. Recently, what we've seen is that, to a significant extent, welfare incomes have been protected, okay? Again, I get myself in trouble saying these things. I'm, I'm making them as very broad, broad statements. Uh, you know, while it's pretty clear what's been happening in terms of, uh, of, of, of market incomes. And, and so income poverty can give you kind of paradoxical results relating to both, both boom and, and, and recession, okay? Secondly, in a way more interestingly, in a lot of the literature, there's been a shift in focus from current situation, okay, to notions of insecurity and exposure, okay? Notions which involve both multidimensionality and dynamics, even where the analysis has been done, you know, without, you know, without panel data. So we have the notion that vulnerability isn't just about your current situation, certainly isn't just about your current situation in relation to income, it's about your, your situation across a range of dimensions. And the notion that you are exposed to risk over time, okay? That even if you're not currently deprived, your group might be much more vulnerable to being exposed to depredation in the future than other groups, okay? So let's say it contains elements of, of multidimensionality uh, and, yeah, and dynamics, okay? It's a notion that's been developed in different ways by, you know, by IMF, World Bank, and so on, and it's a notion, uh, as I say, with, with in previous work with Bertrand and Brian, we've used this concept quite a bit, okay? Now, it would seem that this perspective might be particularly fruitful in the context of the scale of economic disruption currently being experienced, okay? That the notion that your world is turned upside down uh, in certain ways and that you feel a great deal more vulnerable, uh, obviously, uh, from a common sense perspective, uh, given the, the scale of change we've seen, seems sensible. Okay, we're gonna use latent class analysis. What is latent class analysis, okay? For those of you who already know, apologies. For those who don't, apologies that the tutorial will be very brief, okay? And um, we've got our four by two by two table, okay? Now, if you think to your first statistics class, you were taught how to use the chi-squared, okay? And the idea was that you have a set of observed values in your 16 cells, okay? You assume that they're independent and you get a set of expected values, okay? The expected values deviate from the observed and you say, wow, this is significant, okay? Now here we're doing the opposite. Here we don't want to get a set of impractical values, okay? We want to try and fit this table as closely as possible, okay? We're trying to have a model which will fit the cells in this table, okay? And we have a stunningly simple model. Our stunningly simple model says that the world is divided into two classes, the economically vulnerable and the non-vulnerable, okay? And when you specify the class a person is in, the association between these three variables goes to zero, okay? There's no association between income poverty, economic stress, and deprivation within the vulnerable class or within the non-vulnerable class. All of the association is accounted for by specifying 
which class the person is in. Okay? The, the basic notion is, of course, that the factors which are causing people to be in a vulnerable or non-vulnerable class are precisely those factors that were accounting for the gross association. Okay? So that's the, that's the basic and very simple idea. A ludicrously simple model, the only justification being for it that it works pretty well. Okay? Okay, we, we then fit these latent class models, okay? <coughs> and we start with a benchmark model. We start with a model that we can check our models against, okay? And this is the conditional independence model. This says deprivation, economic stress, and income poverty vary over time, okay? But the relationships between them, otherwise there's no relationship between the variables, okay? So it allows for a change over time, but no association between the variables. Obviously an impractical model, and it misclassifies about 19% of the cases, okay? Then we allow, th th then we say, okay, no, we're gonna have a latent class model. The world is divided up into this vulnerable and non-vulnerable class, okay? But over time, this model doesn't change. Over time, the size of the vulnerable class stays the same, and the pattern of association stays the same, okay? Again, not a particularly plausible model. It does a lot better than the independence model. It misclassifies about 5% of the cases, okay? Then we allow for the size of the class to vary over time, okay? But not the pattern, okay? And that brings it down to about 3.5% of cases misclassified. And then we allow both class and profile to vary, and it misclassifies as 0.03% of the cases, okay? And now having achieved that degree of success, I can go home, okay? Uh, so we, we have a model, we've now fitted our 16 cell table almost perfectly, okay? Okay, so, so what happened over time? Okay. Well, firstly, the size of the vulnerable class went up from 16 to 26%. Not quite a doubling, but not a hell of a lot off it, okay? But in a way, more interestingly, the profile changed, okay? So in 2004, 2008, if you add the 50, 50 to 60% and 50% columns, you'll find that during that time, uh, something like 12% of the non-economically vulnerable came below the 60% line, okay? About 47% of the vulnerable did, okay? So there's about a four to one ratio there, okay? If you look at 2009 to 2011, you now find 10% of the non-vulnerable are below the poverty line and 30% uh, of the vulnerable, okay? So the poverty figures go down over time, okay? The size of the class is almost doubled, but the proportion of the vulnerable who are under the poverty line has actually declined, okay? If you look at basic deprivation, there isn't a huge amount of change. Th this is the variable that really contrasts the vulnerable, okay? So if you're in the vulnerable class, in, in, in the first period, about 76% were above the vulnerability level compared to 2% uh, of the non-vulnerable. By 2009 to 2011, the figures don't change a great deal. But uh, with economic stress, as you see, in the first period, it was 70% against about 3%, okay? In the second period, it goes 75 to, to about 6, okay? Now, what you notice here is that in terms of economic stress, the figure for the vulnerable actually goes down slightly over time, whereas the figure for the non-vulnerable actually goes up, okay? Okay, tr just to try to bring out what's happening here. Two things have happened. The size of the class has almost doubled, okay? But the 
relationship between income and the other variables has loosened over time. Okay? There's a significant loosening in, 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 in the relationship between poverty and these other variables. To put that another way, the degree of polarization has, has reduced. Okay? The size of the class has gone up and the degree of polarization between the classes you know, has diminished. You can see that there on the left-hand on, on, on left side. But on the right-hand side, I've taken them as proportion. Okay? So, sorry, these are odd ratios. Okay? So these are the odds ratios comparing the vulnerable to the non-vulnerable. Okay? Think, just think of it as a measure of inequality. Okay? It's, it's, it's just the odds at one time divided by the odds at another. But it's, it's, a, it's a degree of inequality. The degree of inequality in each of these dimensions between vulnerable and non-vulnerable classes goes down over time. Okay? And you can see the proportions in the other part of the figure. So we have huge increase in level of vulnerability, but a reduction in the degree of polarization. Scale of vulnerability has changed, but so has the nature of vulnerability. Okay, now I'm going to take a slight detour, and I'm going to do it very quickly, because um, I really want to focus on class, okay? But, you know, economists are so obsessed with income, you have to give them something with income, okay? And the results are fairly dramatic, okay? In the first period, okay, if you look at risk, okay, the reason bars are missing on the right-hand side here is that in the first period, nobody above the third decile was classified as economically vulnerable. Okay? Nobody. Okay? In the second period, you can see there's a much more gradual distribution of economic vulnerability across, uh, across deciles. Okay? Economic vulnerability becomes much more pervasive. Okay? And I've given the contrast for... Now, I'm almost ashamed to have this slide because you can work it out for yourself, okay? But in terms of composition, what this meant was that at the first phase, of those who were vulnerable, nobody was above the fourth decile, okay? By the second phase, 30% were above the fourth decile, okay? Which is quite a dramatic shift uh, over a short period of time. Okay, now to my real business. <laughs> what does this mean in terms of social class? Well, here, these are just simply the percentages economically vulnerable by social class, by time period, okay? And if you want a polarization argument, this is the strongest version. The strongest version you can get is that the absolute increase for the higher salariate and lower salariate classes, okay, was less than for the classes below. So, you know, so right at the top, the absolute change was less than the classes below, okay? But it's not a nice hierarchical pattern. If you look at this, what you'll actually see is that the biggest increases, you just concentrate in the red bars, the biggest increases in absolute terms come for the petty bourgeoisie, higher grade white collar and blue collar, and lower white collar and skilled manual, okay? So it's actually these middle classes where you see the greatest absolute increase, okay? I mean, there's an absolute increase for everybody, given the size of the time effect. But more interestingly, if you look at relativities, okay, so these are basically the results of logistic regressions of social class interacted with time, okay? So we've got social class effects, but we allow those social class effects to vary across time, okay? Now, what you see here is that quite clearly, okay, here we're using higher salariate in the first period as the reference category, okay? So you've got both time effects and class effects, okay? So between the two periods, in, in, in the first period, the higher salariate is the base reference one. By 2009, 2011, those who never worked are 
25.5 times more likely to be vulnerable than the professional managerial in the first period. But in fact, it's easier to see what's going on if you look at the next slide. Because here I've taken the prof higher professional managerial group in each period as a reference category. Okay? Now what you can see has happened is that if you look at the never worked category, okay, their odds ratio actually goes down. The disadvantage experienced by the never worked category in the second period relative to the higher professional managerial is actually less than in the first phase, okay? That for the semi-skilled and unskilled manual doesn't change, okay? So at the bottom, rather than seeing a relative deterioration of the situation, you see stability in one case and slight improvement in another, okay? Whereas for the classes in the middle, to, to some extent with the exception of farmers, okay, you actually see a relative deterioration in their situation, okay? The most dramatic is probably for the lower white collar and scale manual, where the odds ratio goes from 5.8 to 8.5, okay? Again, these are the results of logistic regressions where interaction turns in. And what the interactions are telling you is that the relative position of this group of middle classes has deteriorated over time, their relative, their, you know, their, their relative position, okay? So here, at the gross level, I think we have significant evidence <coughs> for some notion of middle class squeeze, okay? Um, and that's where the paper, uh, the paper we, we, we distributed, which we said wasn't finished, uh, had actually stopped, okay? So we're trying to think, how do you explain these changes, okay? Well, the ideal would be to have a nice panel study, you know, when you, when you study all these effects over time. What you have with um, the EU uh, Silk study is the, the panel rotates, okay, uh, over four years, and you have massive attrition, okay? And I wouldn't trust anything that's with due respect. In fact, I know some of my Israeli colleagues have tried to do something like this, but having talked to them, I wouldn't try to do anything with the, with, 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 with the panel as it is, okay? So now, with the series of cross-sections, what we're looking for are variables which either in their distribution or in their effect change very significantly over time, okay? Because what we've got is a dramatic change over time in the effect of social class, okay? There's no point putting in loads of variables into the equation which are not correlated with social class. Clearly, that's not going to explain it, okay? And there's not a lot of point putting in variables that don't change in their distribution over time, okay? So there are other effects going on here. People with children were more likely to be vulnerable in terms of household type. Older people were less likely, uh, you know, to be vulnerable and so on. But none of that can explain the effects we're seeing here. So we focus on two variables, sort of, sort of in the wrong order, but I'll explain it later. And the first one we, we tried to focus on was, well, you know, what's been happening in the property market, okay? And I, I warn you that what we do here is pretty crude, but I, I think it's interesting. We distinguish between those holding mortgages and all others, okay? Now, we're not interested in mortgages as such, okay? What we're looking at is taking mortgage holder as a proxy for various forms of class advantage, okay? That being a mortgage holder is associated with class, and it may capture some, but by no means all, of the advantages associated with being uh, in, with, with favorable, favored rather than less favored classes, okay? And when we control for mortgage holding, we observe two interesting things, okay? Firstly, that mortgage, I'm not going to try and go into details of this, but if you, you, you know, 
F firstly, controlling for mortgage holding reduces the effect of social class much more in the first period than in the second period. Okay? So if you look at the red bar compared to the blue bar, okay, that's the reduction in the effect over time controlling for a mortgage. Okay? And it's quite significant. Okay? It, really, it really does it. In the second period, uh, to take this in terms of odds ratios, okay, growth in the first period, having, uh, sorry, growth in the first period, not having a mortgage, raised your risk of, of being vulnerable by about 4.8, okay? Net, it reduced it by about three. In the second period, the figures were 1.8 and <coughs> 1.2, okay? So net of social class in the first period, not, not having a mortgage, raised your risk of vulnerability by three, okay? In the second phase, that had gone down to 1.2. So whatever advantages that having a mortgage was capturing associated with being associated with class have diminished hugely by the second period, okay? On the other hand, interestingly, this does not lead to a general reduction in the class effects, okay? The class effects at the second stage are as strong as at the first phase, okay? And the differences relate not to any general reduction, but to the deterioration of the middle classes, which we pointed out previously, okay? So, interpretation of this, well, it seems as if, particularly at the higher levels of the class structure, people find other ways of sustaining their position. When one form of advantage becomes less important, they can draw on other sorts of advantages. So, whatever was captured by having a mortgage, okay, there are still other factors obviously related to labor market, you know, social connections, more general economic security, which can fill in that gap, okay? So, suddenly, property is much less important mediating class effects, but class effects don't go away, okay? The second area I wanted to turn to was the labor market, okay? In order to do that, we use uh, a Eurostat measure of work intensity, okay? I'm not going to read all that out. I think you can work it out for yourself. The, the, the big implication of it is that now we drop people under 60, okay? Because Eurostat basically made an implicit decision that not being in the labor market over 60 might be just a matter, as much a matter of choice as exclusion, okay? Now, you can argue about that, and it's, you, know, you, you can have different debates about <coughs> what the appropriate measure would be. But in any event, we now drop people over 60, and the question we ask ourselves is, can our changing class patterns be, be explained by this work intensity variable, okay? Well, firstly, as I said, we need something that changes fairly dramatically over time, okay? And this is the distribution of work intensity um, at the two points in time. And as you can see, it has shifted quite dramatically, okay? I mean, this is not gonna surprise anybody, okay? But, you know, um, the, yeah, so I should have said, it, 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 it basically is a measure of, given the potential labor market input in the household, okay? Um, it excludes students and so on what proportion of that potential is actually being taken up in, in, you know, in work, okay? And as you can see, you know, the green bar of high work intensity, you know, declines, so does the middle one. Uh, so I think, you know, at, at the first phase, uh, the first two bars are what are taken up about 60% there, and the second phase is down around 40. I think the actual figures are 57 and 47. On the other hand, the blue bar and the red bars increase over time. No work, you know, 
very low work intensity and low work intensity increase. So this is a variable which has changed dramatically even in this short period of time. So it's a candidate for explaining what might have happened with our class differences. So we control for social class. Okay? Now, when I say control, and this is important, and it's, and it's hard to bring out the full details of this, but I, I didn't want to expose you to a bunch of legislative regressions with two million figures in, and then see you probably can't see this at the back, which drives me completely and totally crazy, and so take that as a warning if I ever come to your seminar, okay? <laughs> if, you, if, you do, if you do that, I'll boo, okay? But we have controlled here not just for the distribution of work intensity, but for differential impact across time, okay? So it's like running two full separate regressions at point A, at time one and time two. Or if you want to think about it, it doesn't just include work intensity as a control variable, it interacts work intensity with time, okay? So you're getting both the distribution effects and, and, and the time effects. Okay. And that's important because it turns out that when we controlled for the distribution of work intensity, it looked as if the middle class squeeze effect had been substantially reduced, okay? The middle class squeeze effect among petty bourgeoisie, uh, lower, lower white collar, uh, lower and higher white collar and so on, and lower salariate, were reduced very substantially once we took into account the distribution of work intensity. However, complication, although I think a nice one for the prospect of getting the paper published, it turns out that the impact of work intensity also changed over time, okay? So that the impact of work intensity was much less important in the second phase than the first phase, okay? Particularly for low work, in, for low, for very low, low and medium work intensity, okay? Putting that another way, the distribution of work intensity changed. There were a lot more people, a lot less people who were now in high work intensity and medium work intensity, okay? But the advantages conferred, oh, sorry, the disadvantages conferred by low work intensity over time diminished significantly, okay? So for the low work, very low work, low work, and medium work categories, the interaction terms were 0 0.3, 0 0.6, and 0 0.6, okay? So the low work intensity coefficient was only 0.3 of what it was in the first phase. The, the, sorry, the very low. The low was 0.6, and the medium was 0.6. So work intensity was now a much less powerful factor in differentiating vulnerability, okay? And when you allow for both of those factors, our petty bourgeois effect largely disappears, okay? But the effect for the other middle classes are sustained, okay? So going from gross to net, okay? We're comparing the blue to the green, okay? So if you look, for instance, at the lower white collar and skilled manual, um, you, you can see that the, the, the disadvantage conferred, uh, so the, the, the comparisons over time, uh, sorry, look at a lower white collar, sorry, look at lower white collar and skill manual and compare the, sorry, compare the green with the yellow, okay? So these are the net effects at the two points in time. And as you can see, the green bar is significantly longer than the yellow bar, okay? The same is true for the lower white collar and skill manual. Okay, um, and you know, so, so the effect, whereas the effects for self-employed disappear and the lower salariate diminish. These two key classes of lower white collar and skilled manual, uh, sorry, of higher grade white collar and blue collar and lower white collar and skilled manual continue to suffer greater disadvantage over time, even when we control for 
changing distribution of work intensity and changing impact of work intensity. Okay? So, so the, the, this middle class disadvantage uh, element remains pretty robust. Okay, conclusions. <coughs> we get close to doubling of the size of the economically vulnerable class, okay? Which in itself is a pretty extraordinary change of, I mean, I, I, I suspect it doesn't surprise people all that much, given what we all know we've been through, but, you know, it's, it, it's a fairly extraordinary sort of change over a short period of time. There's a change in the profile of the vulnerable with less polarization. So lots more people vulnerable, but the polarization between vulnerable and non-vulnerable declines. Income poverty becomes loosely, more loosely associated with material deprivation and economic stress, okay? Vulnerability is more widely distributed across the income distribution, and there's an associated change in the composition of the vulnerable, okay? And let me stress this, okay? Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of getting drummed out of the Sociological Association of Ireland with findings like this. But vulnerability is highly stratified by social class in both time periods, okay? So you, th th there's no disappearance of class effects, okay? And I'm not suggesting anything of the sort, okay? You could make an argument on the basis of changes in absolute risks for some restricted degree of polarization between salariate and farmers and the remaining classes, okay? These, however, these shifts in absolute risk cannot be understood solely in class hierarchical terms. You also have to take into account, particularly for the self-employed and other groups, the exposure to the domestic market, okay? So the petty bourgeoisie suffer particularly badly, the skilled manual groups suffer particularly badly. So it's not just your class position, it's where you were in the, where you were in the economy, okay? The changing patterns of relativity shows the increase in odds of vulnerability released at the top and the bottom of the class hierarchy, okay? And it was indeed a middle class squeeze, okay? Class effects become less mediated by property over time, but are not reduced. Changing class effects over time are significantly mediated by the changing distributions of household work intensity. And I didn't, I, I changed the slide this morning, okay, and I didn't change the commentary on the slide, okay? So it's not just the distribution, it, it, it is the slope, okay? And controlling just for the, for the distribution gives you a different uh, perception to controlling for the effects as well, okay? The context, and, and this is where I don't want to, I don't tend to blather on too long, because I'd like to get your feedback on this. How do you explain this, okay? How do, you, how do you interpret the results, okay? Well, it does look as if everybody suffered absolutely over time, okay? So the, the situation deteriorates for, for every group, okay? But it does look as if the protection which was offered in terms of social welfare, okay? Progressive taxation and that sort of package, all of which, which I, I, I know is hotly disputed and so on, but these groups at the bottom suffer relatively less than the groups in the middle, okay? The groups at the top manage to protect themselves, and there are a variety of candidates of, of how they would do that. And it is true that the groups in the middle, you can see a clear, effective squeeze, okay? So what's the potential implications of that? Well, as, as I say somewhere in the paper, one of the things I love about the Irish situation is that there's been two recurring phases, uh, 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 phrases, okay? There is you know, protect the vulnerable, um, although nobody, most of the time nobody knows who they are. Protect the vulnerable, okay? And can't pay, won't pay, okay? But if you can't pay, won't pay, you can't protect the vulnerable, okay? So clearly these issues of legitimacy, uh, you know, come, come into play. And maybe I should leave them to Neve Hardiman to, to, to explain rather than trying to do it myself, okay? But clearly, I think the results we're getting 
are at, at least consistent with what we've been seeing, for instance, in the recent you know, Crow Park, Haddington Road uh, negotiations, okay? That groups of doctors and nurses and teachers and so on really feel they're under pressure, okay? Uh, and, 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 are, and are very much into, you know, can't pay and won't pay. Uh, and I guess the results we've got here, you know, provide support, you know, pro provide some understanding of what the objective basis of at least some of that discontent would be. In a context where the broader pattern of class differentials uh, are extremely robust. And at that, I'd just like to leave it there and get some feedback from you guys. Thank you.